You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to the program. You're listening to Orange County's longest running business talk show and I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have a very good, if not great show planned for you today. Why you ask? Because Frank Arellano is the guest and he's the founder and CEO of Revolve. Frank, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. So excited to be here. Appreciate you having me. Of course. I'm excited to talk to you about your latest entrepreneurial venture. And uh, you've been in business a little over two years now. So I'm wondering if you could share your uh, motivation. What was the original reason why you decided to start Revolve? In my last company, um, I had one of the challenges of trying to figure out how to manage a very large e-commerce subscription business um, and looking to how do we ensure that we have the best options for our customers and uh, the highest approval rates and things like that. Went out and looked into market, um, implemented a couple of the large players out there, didn't fit our business needs. So we ended up building it ourselves. Um, Took that, what I learned through that whole process um, and when I left that company, decided that there might be a op- uh, market opportunity there. Uh, mm-hmm. So did a ton of research and figured out that once a company gets to sort of a certain size and scale, uh, there really aren't a lot of solutions out there for the big enterprise types. Uh, so we decided to build it ourselves. Um, and now we're live and in market with it. So Frank, it's my experience that even the best laid plans, there's just certain things you don't learn until you start doing, right? Until you're in the marketplace. So I'm wondering, since you launched Revolve, what have you learned and has the business had any minor or major pivots to the model based on that experience? Uh, Yeah, probably two things. One is, um, as we were starting to build the product and figure out the best uh, go-to-market strategy, uh, we probably focused a little bit too little on the right partnerships that we needed to get that product to market. Uh, so we've since um, gone through our partner strategy, uh, really found those that add a tremendous amount of value to uh, our business, but also help support the mission of our merchants and our customers. Um, and then the second thing is making sure that we have all of the operational capabilities and things in place um, as we start to scale. So you've focused on a very specific niche or area of the business. And I'm wondering, I know it was based on your experience. Is is Why are you choosing to work with those type and size of clients? Can you explain that a little bit? And then I'm going to ask you to tell us, frankly, what Revolve does. Yeah, so we are a recurring billing SaaS platform, right? It's a B2B uh, software program. Um, and we manage billing on behalf of our clients. Uh, there are a lot of uh, competitors in that market, um, and we're fans of lots of those, right? Recurly is a great player. Um, and if, you, if you're a small, medium business and you have you know, a small customer base charging them once a month, there's great solutions out there for you. Once you get to a complexity of subscription types, right, free trials, bill them a certain rate for a particular month, maybe a discount if they refer a friend, perhaps a metered service or an add-on 
uh, one-time sort of fee. That's where it starts to get very complicated. Um, as as businesses grow and merchants grow and scale their business, uh, things like approval rates and collection rates became super important for them. Uh, when I was running an enterprise-level business doing you know $800 million or a billion dollars a year, uh, a 1% swing in approval rates was a very big deal for us, right? So we built a platform that can actually optimize all of those transactions. Uh, we do things like account updater and uh, network transaction ID, passing the right data for that transaction for the highest approval rate. And that's made a significant difference. So the, the merchants or the businesses that actually come to us looking for those solutions are those that I would say have a bit of scale. Not to say that we won't, we would not help an SMB client, right? Anybody would appreciate a 10 or 15% bump in approvals, but it's really those enterprise guys that see uh, the big value from us. So help me to understand how large enterprise wide types of companies, how do you convince them as a two-year-old startup that they should trust you and do business <laughs> yeah. with you? That's a great question. So one advantage I think we have is all of our leadership team are veterans within the e-commerce or payments space. Um, we come from big companies, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 um, types of companies. Um, we've built a similar type of, you know, we've had this responsibility, but for another company before and have built bespoke systems, um, done a lot of payment um, consulting, uh, some of our leadership team. And so I think there's a lot of value to that. Um, it's in our first rodeo, if you will. Um, plus, we've done a lot of, uh, we started with some beta customers. Um, so we're able to show a lot of evidence based on the uplift in approvals, reduction of cost, all those things that we, um, you know, sell ourselves. Uh, we, we have the data to support that. So I'm, I'm wondering, because you mentioned the complexity that can come with large scale deployments. Have you found, while there's a lot of differentiation as far as what clients can choose, how they can choose to do business with these companies, let me see if I can get my question right. Is there a common set of needs that the different customers have based on sort of what's evolving in the subscription business? Or is everyone kind of a new opportunity where you need to learn all the different elements of how they offer their business on a subscription basis? It's probably the 80-20 rule. I would okay. say 80% you know, of all the customers share right in the challenges they have. Um, approval rates is one. Customer churn is another um, complexity. Uh, in prior, in the, probably the past year or so, there was a big push to, to add additional sort of complex subscription op options and things like that. Um, as the macroeconomic stuff hits and people are looking to cancel subscriptions, um, companies now are looking to simplify their subscription plans, but there's also a ton of focus on approval rates, right? Which sort of where we fit into that. Um, so I think the market continues to evolve. Um, and I think it's important for uh, customers or businesses to pick solutions that can evolve with them. So I think it's it's very powerful, Frank, when an entrepreneur who had a need, and you did mm -hmm. in your previous life, then says, hey, I think I can build a better mousetrap because I understand <laughs> it from the customer's perspective. Mm -hmm. So in your conversations with your prospects who then turn into customers, 
do you feel like your experience carries the day for them because it's not too long ago you kind of were one of them yeah i think that a lot of our early success is because of that to be honest it's um we we haven't formally done uh we have a we have a um fairly robust marketing plan and good marketing strategy um we're just starting a lot of that process now uh, so all of those early customers that we got were through network or referral or people finding us and going, what is it that you guys are doing? And, you know, we've had a lot of early success because of the fact that you know, we've done this before um, and we're sort of valued experts within this space. And so it's it's all about, especially in the early days, but as always understanding the pain that the client or prospect is experiencing and then demonstrating your ability to solve that pain better yeah. than maybe other choices. Or like you said, you built your own, they could do themselves because that's always an option for large companies. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, from your experience, you probably touched on them already, but just help me to understand the order of the pain that you're seeing for these large subscription-based companies and, and what you're doing to help them with it. Yeah, great question. Uh, so Visa, the card networks, right? Visa, MasterCard, uh, there's a lot of regulation changes that occur sort of throughout time. Um, there's a lot of fraud rules that happen within the e-commerce space and uh, legitimately so we want those filters in place, right? To sort of root out the sort of bad actors in this space and things like that. Um, however, if you look across industries um, and it, decline rates can vary from 10% to 30% depending on industry. Um, of the those, those declines, about two thirds are false declines. Those are legitimate transactions that should have been approved. Hmm. Um, decline rates back in April when um, there were some ne uh, network changes started to go down um, even more so, right? And it panicked some merchants out there. Um, so there's been a lot of focus now on how to deal with declines, but more importantly, because of the issue with false declines, how to fix that problem. A lot of times it's just passing the wrong data as part of that transaction. Um, or not having the right sort of data partner from a gateway or processor perspective. Those are the types of things that we've been able to address with our platform. Um, and how we did that was we started by engaging with the banks, with the processors to understand what are all the different rules out there? What are the requirements from a data perspective to maintain compliance, um, but also to be able to build trust with the banks and the processors um, to enhance those improvals. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, right? If the bank trusts that um, transaction and knows that that consumer is real and who they say they are, and they're buying what they want to buy, uh, transactions will get approved. So in learning about the inner workings, and I'm only getting a very superficial overview. I mean, you, yeah. your knowledge is very deep, but I'm, you're, just, you're just teaching me a tip of the iceberg of kind of what <laughs> you deal with. And I appreciate that. And we're talking about that here on Critical Mass Business Talk Show. The, the level of uh, interconnectedness and then complexity and then regulation really does feel like the work that you're doing has a lot of dependencies and variabilities to it, which yeah. uh, must be somewhat challenging for an early stage company to be able to comprehensively get your arms around, even with the background and experience that you have with your leadership. It It is a challenge and um, we, we've benefited in a couple different ways, but I'll touch base on that ecosystem. There's a lot of different um, partners in that process, right? You got the merchants, you have the the, the software services like um, Revolve, uh, you have gateways and processors and 
um, banks and card networks. And um, it's a very deep um, ecosystem. And all of everybody has to play nicely together and follow the same rules, right? <laughs> and that's a challenge sometimes. Um, for us, part of our success has been in identifying the right partners in along this, you know, path, mm-hmm. right? So for us, it's Adyen and WorldPay and companies like Infinicept and Talon that have really helped us um, by partnering with us and providing great solutions for us or giving us that expertise and insight to help us build what we need to, to be successful along the way. So, you know, super thankful that they're there um, to be able to help guide us. And um, we'll continue to leverage the, you know, Visa, MasterCard, you know, all the banks all the way down um, through the process. Cause I think we all want the same thing. And that's, you know, as much success as um, we can have ensuring that our, customers are taken care of, right? From a processing perspective and billing perspective, but also the consumer is protected. So a little, you know, as you answer questions, you kick off more thoughts in my <laughs> mind and I hope, hope you don't mind us going this deep into your business model sure. and your business, but it's very interesting. And many of the names that you just said as your partners, frankly, in my space, they're new names for me, Frank. I'm sure. not familiar with their brands. Um, but obviously, if you're in the space, you must be and you are, you have to be. I'm wondering, as you get a client, you set up their subscription service with all the variations that they need to be successful. Um, yeah. How often do they come back to you saying, OK, well, now we want to add this feature or we want to take we want to defeature that one. We want to make a change here. How interactive and dynamic then is that relationship between you and your client? as far as the services that they offer to their clients? Yeah, good question. And and that'll vary by client um, and also by vertical or industry. Um, So, you know, if they're selling widgets and it's one widget that they're selling, you know, um, and they're charging once a month and they're going to, you know, sell that widget for six months, we may not hear from them for for a while. Um, We have other customers that have very complex portfolio or, or a deep portfolio of offerings with complexity with each of those subscriptions. So we interact with them quite a bit more. Um, There's a number of different ways that companies can integrate with us. We have pre-built integrations to a lot of the accounting and e-commerce and CRM softwares that are out there. Customers can code to our APIs. We can give them a a shopping cart page so they can drop into their path. Um, And some of that depends on how they um, uh, integrate with us, Uh, but it, it really goes down to their business model and how frequently they're changing their subscription uh, uh, plans. So let's change our focus for a minute um, to you as an entrepreneur. And I'm wondering, Frank, where do you go to access other entrepreneurs who have insights and experiences that have proven to you to be able to help you to stay ahead of your competition and to (laughs) grow or evolve? LinkedIn is a phenomenal place. I, I mean, I use it quite a bit. I think that's how we met Rick. Um, mm-hmm. There's some some groups on there, payment experts, e-commerce experts that uh, I follow extensively. I've met quite a bit of people uh, through those groups as well. Um, I'm a big believer in sort of fostering uh, relationships and networks, right? So I keep in touch with mentors and former business and customer partners and things like that. Uh, the the partners that I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, WorldPay and Adyen, who are big payment processing companies, um, our, our sort of newest partner, Infinicept, who are great. 
Um, we do a lot of interaction with them and strategy planning and building. And, you know, they're supportive of the fact that we're an early stage company. Um, and, you know, we can go to them for stuff as well. And I think I, I like having multiple avenues um, to get good ideas. Ideas. Uh, you know, I, I know I'm never the smartest guy in the room. So <laughs> I always try to make sure and surround myself with those people that are smarter and willing to give input and feedback. Perfect. Let's look to tomorrow, Frank. Describe the vision, your vision as, for the future of your firm. I think so. Our immediate focus is let's launch into market, right? Which we've had some success with some early companies. Um, we're about ready to put some big marketing out there. We've built out our operational systems and models to be able to support that or in the process of building that. Um, so I really want to see this company start to grow and thrive. Um, I think that there's some key partnerships, not just from a customer perspective, um, but in some of the other systems and softwares that exist in the world. Uh, you know, We're going to look to see how we can better integrate and better partner with them. Um, my goal is to you know, become one of the leaders within the subscription billing space. Um, and I know that's a fairly lofty goal, but I think we're all geared and um, ready to, you know, move down that path. So I'm pretty excited about the future for sure. So just a couple back office kind of behind the scenes questions. Feel free to decline if you don't. These are off script, ladies and gentlemen. Frank and I have developed a <laughs> list of questions and I a couple of things just came to mind. So um, how does... Revolve make money in a general sense? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we charge a transactional fee. Um, he, here's where we're a little bit different than our um, competition, right? Uh, most of our competition charge like a platform fee and or a transactional fee and take a percent of revenue. Uh, we only charge a simple transaction fee when we get a, uh, a payment approved, um, which is quite a bit different there. Uh, so it's a transaction fee and it's all based on their volume. Hmm. So you're taking it in small increments. And so that uh, that's that's great. That's a great business model. So how big is the market? And do you see it in the future? How big is the potential market that you're a part of? Yeah. The, so the, the current software um, market for recurring billing uh, is supposed to hit about 15 billion um, by 2025, which is not insignificant, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's got double digit, you know, incremental right. growth year over year, which is fantastic. Um, however, if you look at what companies actually spend on um, billing systems, that's probably closer to 40, $50 billion. Hmm. So we think that that market is probably undervalued. Um, because there are a lot of large, large enterprises out there that are actually building their own system. Yeah, I think that's that's the that's an interesting aspect because they haven't found anything maybe potentially that meets their needs or maybe it's mission critical and they want to do it themselves. There's probably a variety of reasons why they keep it in house. Yeah, but over time, the understanding that they may be better off if it's not their core competency to partner with someone like you probably will become a realization for them. Yeah. That's right. I talked to a very large content provider when we were looking for a solution for a prior company. And the CTO of that company said to me, look, I have, 
you know, 50 people, I have a dedicated billing company technically <laughs> within my company. Right. And all I want to do is be a great content provider and creator. We don't want to be a billing company, right. um, but there's nothing in market for them at the time. So, you know, we think, we think we've built that now and I can't wait to go back and talk to that CTO at some point. <laughs> yeah. How exciting to be at this stage, because it seems to me too, from a consumer perspective, people are being conditioned to buy on the subscription model. Yeah. And, and so be consumer behavior can be changing. And who knows where that leads? Businesses who historically maybe weren't on a subscription model business might decide to become a subscription model business because of the stickiness of the business or whatever it might be. So there may be new opportunities for you beyond what those brands that have adopted a subscription-based model up to yeah, this point as well. It, so many things that you wouldn't have thought of before are subscription now. Right, the BMW with their car services features. Um, there's there's countries in Europe that like rent is now subscription based. Cars aren't purchased or leased anymore; they're on a subscription basis. Walmart's adding a ton of subscription services, so it's it's here, right? It's it's prevalent. It's everywhere. It, it's going to stay, um, and I think it's going to get more complex before it gets easier. <laughs> And let's hope for that, Frank, because there's your business model, right? Let's, yeah. let's go for complexity because you can solve it for your client. That's fantastic. So if someone would like to connect with you on LinkedIn or learn more about Revolve, how would they do that online, Frank? Yeah, so they can go to revolve.com and we spell it R-E-V-O-L-V-3.com or they can go to linkedin.com slash revolve, three with the three. Um, and then our Twitter and Instagram handles are at Revolve3Inc. Well, I'd love to have you back at some point in the future and kind of do a look back on this show to then and see how the progress that you've made and what has changed. Would you come back on the program? Absolutely. The yeah, we love your program. Listen to it all the time. Well, thank you very much. It's great to have, because we have great guests like you. And I told you, audience, <laughs> at the top of the show, this was going to be a good show because Frank was our guest. And I'd like to thank the audience for being a part of Orange County's longest running uh, business talk show. Frank's episode is episode number 1,393. And if you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you would like to tell your story, then connect with me on LinkedIn or visit my website. Both are the same, Rick, R-I-C. Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.